Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome, IndyCar fans, to this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly. I am Nathan Brown, the Indy Stars Motorsports Insider, joined, of course, uh, with me today by my co-host, Meyershank Racing's Jack Harvey. Jack, how are you doing? And more importantly, how are you? How excited are you uh, that we can finally say it is race week? Oh, it's awesome, mate. Um... This is basically taking a lot of the drivers, you know, pit crew, you know, guys and girls who work on uh, in race teams and putting them back in their natural habitat at a uh, racetrack. So, yeah, we're all really, really excited for the season to be getting started this weekend in Alabama. Um, no matter how long or short the off season is, it feels like time just, you know, kind of flies by when you're in the week up to uh the first race and everyone's very excited but i guess one of the things i'm feeling more so than ever at my shack racing is that everyone just kind of feels ready you know no one's like jumping off the wall and you know extra giddy of course we're really excited but more than that you can just feel there's a nice level of you know confidence throughout the team that we're just totally ready for the season to get started I was I was crunching some numbers because I was thinking about this a little bit. Um, I think it was probably yesterday, just going into this race week. We've heard so much about this off season and how it's felt longer. I imagine some of that has to do with just the simple fact that you know IMSA has been going since early February. Formula One started up, I think, three weeks ago or so. NASCAR has been going since February. I think in total, this off season is maybe may only end up being like two weeks or so longer than last year's um but with this the schedule pushed back last year and then pushed back to start this year i can certainly uh agree that this offseason just has felt really weird more than anything whether it's longer or not um have you have you noticed at times that it has feel felt remarkably longer um than any car off seasons you've been involved with in recent years Uh, If you look at the total time, probably not. I think normally IndyCar and racing in North America finishes a little bit earlier at the end of the year. You know, like normally we're not doing a ton of racing throughout October, uh, but it does start early in March, uh, where this year I I felt like we were still testing, you know, and and racing in November, you know, Alabama actually, uh, you know, to end last year's driving for us went back to the UK for Christmas, you know, flew back here very quickly. We tested in January and that was when we kind of heard that, you know, St. Pete was going to get pushed back again. And I just kind of got the sense that we were all like ramping up early in January, you know, for what seemed like it was going to be a very busy Feb. And then suddenly February just was nothing, you know, like no testing, you know, the team obviously then dived into other areas that they don't normally get chance to uh, because the season obviously was pushed back. A month then suddenly you know march seemed to fly by and then here we are again so uh, i'm not sure if i'm not sure if it was any longer i think the schedule even from last year everything just seems to have been pushed back another month which has made 2021 feel like a slightly longer start to the year which i think it feels like that is because the season has been pushed back a month so it feels like it is <laughs> yeah that's a great point i mean your, I mean, you, the teams, um, you know, when we finished last year on October 25th, like, like you mentioned, that's probably, you know, four or five, maybe even some of your six weeks later than IndyCar traditionally finishes. And then they were setting up to have um, what would have been, I think, the earliest start to a season in at least a little while. I think 
if I have my dates right, uh, St. Pete was originally scheduled to be um, March 7th, I think, um, last year. The St. Pete race that wasn't held, I think, was March or was supposed to be March 15th. So all of a sudden you guys think you have, you know, one month, maybe, you know, five, six weeks fewer uh, of, of time to prepare in the off season. And all of a sudden we end up with um, even a little bit more. So I imagine that's felt weird for drivers, for media, um, for everyone, but certainly excited to get things going for uh, the April 18th race at Barbara Motorsports Park. Um, practice begins on practice and qualifying, I guess, begin on Saturday on Peacock with uh, the lead into the race on Sunday at 3 p.m. on NBC. Um, today on this podcast, we'll talk a lot about Barber along with some of the on-track events that have been going on the last couple of weeks since we um, had a chance to record a podcast. The first of those being the uh, one day or for some teams, couple days worth of testing that IndyCar held at Texas Motor Speedway ahead of the doubleheader um, coming up there on May 1st and 2nd next month. I know there was a lot of talk going into that test about last year's race. Um, I know it was just a blessing to be able to get the season started, but the racing from what we heard um, was maybe a little bit underwhelming in some ways. I know there was a lot of talk that there was this single lane that cars were really only able to run in in turns one and two, especially um, a lot of that uh, having to do with this traction compound that Texas Motor Speedway had put on the track. Um, I believe it was sometime back in 2019 for the NASCAR race there. They'd done a, as good of a job as they could to try and get that scrubbed off the track. But more than anything, it left that darker stain on the outside of the track and turns one and two. And um, of course, as we know, just with some simple physics, when a track gets is darker and gets particularly hotter from the sun um, going to make it slicker for you guys to run on. And we even saw that in a, a crash during qualifying with Takuma Sato there wasn't even able to make that race. So what were your expectations going into this test a couple of weeks ago at Texas um, compared to your original run there last June? And what did you feel like you guys learned? I thought Texas was a super important test for, for myself, for everybody at my shank racing last year's Texas race was our worst one of the year. Um, and everything you described is, you know, kind of what I remember, uh, apart from it's incredibly difficult place to go as a rookie without any testing or anything. So actually going to Texas was a, a really big deal for, for me. I, I wanted to go have a, a smooth test. And honestly, just kind of hit the ground running because that allowed me then to actually just look back at last year and go, okay, that was just a, a set of circumstances that didn't play out well for us. Uh, you know, thrown into the deep end in a difficult track, etc. So for us to go and actually have a really great test like we did actually gave me a lot of confidence because we look at the season now, <clears throat> and I think it would be fair to say that a lot of people would have looked at our season and gone, okay, well, if you just get through Texas, things can be really great. <clears throat> I want to do really well at all the races. And I think going, you know, a few weeks ago, having a great opening test, um, we didn't, we were meant to run on day one. We actually had a, a leak, an oil leak, which prevented that. And that was really frustrating because IndyCar testing is scarce at the minute sometimes. I know it seems like cars have been on track a lot recently, but that was all, you know, scheduled. Um, but certainly our second day was so significantly better than our last experience there. And it's nice just to go to one of these tracks that, you know, I, I didn't have any bad feelings about it. We just didn't have a great weekend. But it's nice to go there now with some positive feelings, ready for hopefully a great weekend. Um, on the test day, it, I saw a few cars that looked good in traffic. I didn't see anybody try and run the second lane. Uh, and that's a real shame because, you know, as a fan, you know, when we haven't been racing at Texas or when I was doing Indy Lights or something, you know, I always so look forward to watching that race because there was multiple lanes. It was always exciting. 
to see basically two two rows of cars, you know, and like then a big old train just you know right next to each other. Uh, and I'm not suggesting for any moment that we get back to any form of pack racing, you know, far from it. But it does make it hard, you know, with that sealant that went down. Uh, I don't know a huge amount of that. I think it was a little bit, you know, before me when they were able to even run side by side. But um, as it stands right now, I'm not, I'm not going to be the first person to try and, you know, run lane two and turn one and two on the race weekend until it really is rubbered in and you see someone else do it uh, safely but um it's such an important weekend this year you know double header you know uh, points for both races obviously so having a good texas i think is going to be critical for a successful year and at least just from the my shank racing side we're going to head into that weekend with a lot more confidence because of how well our test went especially on the back of what was a tough you know 2020 race so um yeah i think everything's progressing progressing pretty nicely and then that also helps us progress into the indie test that we did last week sure that's a good point yeah i it was it seemed like when you guys raced there last year at texas it was that that difficulty with that outside lane i hadn't heard anything about it um and i i just remember getting to the press box and all of a sudden hearing teams you know from from talking with um engineers and and pr people on different teams that it just felt like it really caught a lot of people by surprise um which was unfortunate um and i know that you know i mean scott dominated that race who knows if if having a second lane there would have made things any different um i know you know maybe it, i think the only the only second thing that race was he was in his own race and there was a second race happening for the rest <laughs> of us that's a good point yeah i remember felix tried to make a pass i think it was more maybe between turns one and two or in two and just couldn't make it stick and he he lost control uh and that was a really unfortunate end to that race for him because he'd been running so well he was the only person that seemed like he was able to get up and you know maybe at least get close to dixon uh and you know maybe if they'd you know, duped it out over the last five laps with the caution that we had there would have been fun to see. Um, I, the, the one thing that stood out to me from reading coverage of that test here a couple of weeks ago is I think it was willpower who suggested the IndyCar maybe give teams like an extra set of tires um, during practice and qualifying that time and basically say, that you can only run, you can only use these tires if you go out there during this dedicated session and basically run in that second lane, obviously I'm sure at much slower speeds, um, mm -hmm. down some rubber. And I'm curious to know if you feel like that is something the series could even look into at all, or was something that was maybe kind of said in jest from Will. I would totally let Will have the extra set of tires if he wanted to volunteer himself to try and run in the second lane. Uh, I don't know how quickly I'm going to be pushing the team to try that one. Um, somehow, if you'd have said to me which driver suggested that we do that, I may have put money on that it was Will who, who said that. I actually didn't read that, so that's the first time I'm hearing it. And you can't see me right now, but I've got a big old smile on my face because it does seem like the sort of thing he would say. Um, I think in theory, it sounds like something that would be awesome. Uh, I'm not sure if I want to be the person volunteering the 60 car to be one of them cars to go and rubber it in. Because I would say we want another, we want another set of tires for sure. But we also want to have our spare car completely ready to go just in case, because frankly, there's a, there's a reason we're not running up there right now. And I'm not sure that, uh, I'm not sure trying to do that mid-weekend would be the smartest thing, but uh, if, if he wants to do it, I, I'm all for someone trying it. I'm just, I'm not going to be running in line to uh, be in pit lane for that one. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it comes down to like, I mean, with with traction there really tough. I mean, does running, say, you know, 175 miles an hour make it safe enough where you guys feel like you can run without, you know, having the the car slide out and slammed into the wall who knows and there's really no way to know that until someone goes and do, does it uh and yeah I, 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 the other thing the other thing there with me with that one is everyone's missing a real fundamental point and that 
you're going to basically say, okay, everyone go out and run. The best thing they could do is like turn all timing and scoring off then. Because as you know, one of that's going to turn into a race straight away. You know, like, oh, well, you know, we were running lane two, but I was running like nearly lane three. You know, I was going like a few miles an hour quicker. I mean, I think that's got such great potential, but it also seems like it's got potential to turn into a competition, you know, and not necessarily in a good way. No, and that's, I mean, that's exactly what you don't want. You really just want someone to, you know, a handful of folks to run there for, you know, run laps for, say, even like 30 minutes um, where maybe we're, you know, we put our, our computers in the, the TV feed is, is, isn't running and just know after the fact that it happens, maybe we, you know, maybe you guys, maybe it's like a private session and we don't even know who ended up running. I don't know. It's, it was a funny comment from Will. I don't know how feasible it is or how many folks would agree to it enough to where it would make a difference. Um, regardless, we'll, we'll certainly be interesting to see, especially with a double header there this year, what lessons guys take from race one and apply to race two. Um, we will have to see how that shakes out. Well, I think the other, go ahead. I think the other interesting thing about race one is that a lot of people may not know, but it's actually an impound race right now. So however you qualify is how you have to race for race one. And that immediately then, you know, or you may be a little conservative in qualifying, hoping that the race card's a little bit better. Do you maybe do the exact other, you know, scenario in that situation? So I think Texas has a lot of uh, maybes, you know, a lot of different scenarios. It's going to be really interesting to see at the end of the weekend, which teams had the better approach that's a good point i mean when you when you have an impound race like that and when qualifying seems like it has to be so important because it's hard to pass in that race it will be interesting to see how teams um how teams combat that which what they prioritize um particularly in that race one i mean it, it comes here in a string of i guess it's about a month and a half of the season where uh, you guys have you know two races at Texas, the one race on the IMS road course, but then a 500 that counts for double points and uh, a Detroit race weekend that's a double header as well. So even just between Texas, the 500 and Detroit, you're running on three tracks where essentially you're getting six races worth of points out of those and how the, the teams that perform the best on those weekends, you it seems like are going to have a, a pretty big advantage in how the points race shakes out and how it's shaping up at that point in the season where we'll be, I think, about halfway done. Um, so we'll be interesting to see see how that pans out. Um, going on from testing, you guys also were on track. Admittedly, maybe not as much as you guys might have liked to, uh, but we're on track last week a little bit on Thursday and a lot more on Friday at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the Oval for what was planned to be two full days worth of testing for 32 cars ahead of the Indianapolis 500 scheduled for May 30th. Um, initially going into that test, how important, I know I, you know, I heard some guys talk about even the ability to possibly have two days in preparing for that race. How important is um, a set of a couple days like that for you guys, especially now where practice is an even more valuable commodity for that 500, um, more so than it was maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago? Oh, it's huge, mate. I, I love it when you hear the stories of, you know, people talk about the month of May because it literally was like a month's worth of running you know, for the Indy 500. And, you know, we still talk about the month of May. And I mean, thank God that they have the Indy GP now, because otherwise, you know, the month of May would really just be like two weeks. Um, so I kind of feel like in some of those ways, I kind of missed the heyday of IndyCar testing, which leads to your point that those days are so valuable because although there's a lot of practice time at Indy, you, you always feel like you need another day of practice. You know, and especially then, you know, Thursday got rained out, uh, you know, and Friday looked like it was going to be clear all day. And there was a few little small showers sprinkled in there. Um, those days are massive, you know, to be able to go and just kind of tick off some of the baseline stuff that you would normally spend, you know, the first day 
can I do it in May? Uh, you know, we are hopeful as a team that when we go back there, you know, in, in about a month's time, that we can just crack on, you know, straight away trying to work on our race car because hopefully we've got some of the baseline numbers now. And the thing that was interesting about the test was some new aero pieces uh, and a lot of our test day on Friday at least was geared around just data collecting. It doesn't sound super exciting, but that's what we hope makes our month of May just a little bit better. So uh, the other exciting thing about that test was Elio was there with us uh, in the second uh, car, in the 06 car, and just being able to pra have a practice day at Indy with Elio was was worth just so much. You know, it was so evident what he brings, you know, to the team, you know, what I can learn from him, what the team can learn from him, uh, you know, his particular driving style and things like that. So that was just a really, really great test for, you know, for everybody at Shank Racing on the 60 car, on the 06 car, you know, for Automation, for Sirius XM. And it felt like a really positive test that is going to lead us nicely into the start of the season, uh, but also going to lead us hopefully into our most successful month of May yet. Absolutely. Um, before, the first thing I want to touch on from that, um, I know you can't necessarily talk too much, both, both, without just not wanting to get into the weeds and i know you guys obviously have your own specific things that you guys are focusing on in those tests that you don't want to elaborate on too much but for folks um, who have just kind of heard vague references to air these new aero pieces on the car can you give folk listeners just kind of like a brief description of what is going to be different on the car on the super speedway car um, for this year's Indy 500 and how you feel like it hopefully, you know, in a best case scenario will alter effect and affect not only the race car, but just the um, performance of the sure. field in the race. Yeah, so IndyCar as well as Galara developed a couple of extra pieces uh, of aero that were allowed to actually put on the car. A lot of them were straights. There were some barge boards. I think maybe there was one or two um wicker options that were new for this year and they're all designed around putting more downforce on the car what does that mean it basically means the car is being pushed into the track a little bit better um slightly slower top speed normally those things are more drag but essentially it's meant to be more grip um and hopefully what that allows us to do in traffic running will be because we have more grip be a little bit closer maybe not be quite as affected you know, by the dirty air when you're right behind a car. All of this obviously geared to and aimed around having a slightly more exciting race. You know, I think IndyCar are aware that the 500 maybe in the last few years has been a little more processional, you know, than they would like. I think that's, maybe they're going to get told off for saying that, but I think that's true. I think IndyCar know that uh, and that the 500 is a little bit single file right now at least the speedway and these new aero pieces are just designed to be able to put more grip into the car so that we can run a little bit closer and bring back, you know, that style of racing that people are so excited by at the speedway when you're seeing people, you know, get a draft down the front straight into turn one, down the back straight into turn three, you know, swapping the lead loads of times, uh, you know, and good battles up and down the field. Um, one thing people have to remember, uh, one of the things we had to, uh, you know, pinch ourselves with a little bit, I think the weather conditions, albeit it was extremely windy when we were there last week, uh, the conditions were like really good. That was good quality indie testing. And in that moment, everything feels great. You know, you can trim a little further than you normally would, you know, et cetera, et cetera, if you're doing qualifying runs. So, well, I guess we'll wait and see what happens at the in the, uh, you know, come race day. I feel like, race day somehow is like the first day of summer and out of nowhere it just gets really hot in Indy, uh, you know, for the, for the race. But um, I think IndyCar done a really, really great job along with Delara to at least try and create more opportunities and options, you know, for the drivers and for the teams to first, firstly get their head around and figure out, but honestly just to try and make the racing, you know, a little bit less processional, a bit more fun again, because, you know, when you go to the 500, I mean, you want to be wowed. You know, that's what we all go 
to see. You want to see some real stoic maneuvers. You want to see some like you want moments where you'll your hands cover your mouth because you just can't believe what's going on. Um, and I think IndyCar done a really nice job at trying to achieve that. I mean, have they achieved it? I've, sadly, I don't think we'll know 100% come race day, maybe at least, you know, carb day. I think that's normally a good, aim, uh, good indicator. But um, I thought the first, the first initial feeling was that the car seemed to be running a little more consistent behind cars, maybe not making any more or less moves, but certainly wasn't on quite as much of a knife edge as what I've been in previous years. So, um, yeah, the other thing that people need to remember on those kind of test days, you know, being a, being a Honda driver and powered by HPD, we know what power level we were at. We have no idea what anybody else really was at. So I think those tests are so interesting, but they're so hard, you know, to really pinpoint like, were we good? You know, was our power relative to everybody else's? Was it up? Was it down? You know, just trying to figure out exactly where we uh, where we stack up is it's pretty challenging, actually. But again, chatting to the engineers, they seemed happy with our test. Therefore, I'm pretty happy with our test. And again, I think me and Elio had slightly different uh, programs for the day. But that's the glory of having two cars this year for my shank racing is, you know, he can be sent off to go and uh, go and test some things i can be sent off to go and test some things and at the end of the day we try and come together and collectively find the best program but uh, it was it was really cool to be teammates with a three-time indy 500 winner especially at indy did it i mean were you guys literally able to accomplish and and pour through that list uh you know that checklist of you guys is um in you know, what you're wanting to prepare for, for the 500. I mean, when, when you add another driver, are you literally able to get through all that stuff twice as fast? I know you're only in the first day of things, but was adding, mm. adding Elio <laughs> truly that big of an effect on you guys? I do. Um, can you get through it twice as fast? I'm not sure about that. I mean, you know, sometimes because it's still new for us, I'm still understanding Elio's, you know, terminology when he describes the car, um, you know, when, when we make a setup change, he needs to try it to make sure we've had the same read on it, you know, and, and I would say we're still kind of in that process of, okay, this is what I felt. What did you feel? You know, et cetera, et cetera. But um, there's a reason you see cars expand, you know, into multiple car teams. And that is because at least when you're on the same path, like I think we're, we're heading down a, a really brilliant path you know, as teammates together, um, I'm sure, you know, a day or two into the month of May, we're going to be able to go through some of our testing priority items a little bit quicker. And, you know, already he was, he was on a testing program that was a little different to mine. At the end of the day, we kind of very quickly looked through both of them, uh, you know, together. Uh, you know, and the engineers chatted a bit and just said, okay, we thought this was really beneficial. This was really good. This wasn't so good. Um, so it just gives the opposite car the opportunity then to go and try and put on the things that we found was good. And naturally, we hope that all those things are always good. Not going to be the case, but we're hopeful. Um, you know, and just together, we just progress quicker. I guess that's the uh, the best way we want to look at it. Together, we just want to elevate each other naturally. I want to be the fastest one out of the two of us, of course. Uh, so does he. But I think in terms of what what was so cool about having Elio there was being able to really work together so that come the race, we can have this, you know, really great fight between the, between ourselves, but at least elevating the team as much as possible so that when we're doing that, we're just doing it as far up the field as possible. So, um Oh, I mean, it, it was brilliant. It was it was everything that you hoped that test was going to be. I felt like, and you know, maybe Michael's a better person to ask for it. But I thought the 06 car ran incredibly smoothly. Uh, you know, I know a lot of those guys on that car. They're so talented, and I do think that my shank racing does need a little bit of a you know an appreciation message here because it's not easy to expand into a second car, but they've done it totally in their stride, and that's just because of how they are as people, their work ethic. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm really proud of everybody at the team for how they've handled the expansion. 
I've got the um, the leaderboard on the fastest one lap um, speeds from Friday here right in front of me. We'll go through a really quick rundown. You did edge Elio um, as a, yes. <laughs> uh, eighth versus tenth on the final leaderboard um, as two uh, as I think what the the fourth and fifth fourth and fifth fastest. Honda's out there. Joseph Newgarden topped the leaderboard at first, followed by Takuma Sato, Juan Pablo Montoya, Scott Dixon, Graham Ray Hall, Connor Daly, Will Power, uh, Jack Harvey, Pato Award, and Elio Castro Neves. So um, a really interesting five and five breakdown between Honda and Chevy, um, which I think alone should make for, if that continues, um, a really interesting battle between those two engine manufacturers during May. You've got um, in, in the top five alone, a Penske, uh, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan, Aero McLaren SP, um, another uh, Ray Hall car, and uh, Chip Ganassi Racing, all in that top five. You guys not close behind, um, as well as being the two fastest cars in that and ready um, technical relationship, which I think is really interesting. Although you had a couple um, pseudo teammates that followed fairly shortly behind you. So it was a really interesting day, um, not only for, I'm sure a lot of the testing stuff that you guys went through, but it was certainly just great to see cars on track at IMS and to have 32 cars there um, was really something special. You had a a handful of rookies that had to go through their ROP programs, a lot of interesting veteran refreshers, including uh, a three-time winner in Elio and a two-time winner in Montoya. Um, yeah, I don't know how they decide who's in the refresher, by the way. Like that, that, that was a mystery in itself. So I, I, I heard this, and I, I'm not going to guarantee that this is correct, but I believe that the way that they decide it is – whether or not a driver was in the car for IndyCar's last oval race on the calendar. So, um, I mean, uh, so that I know one outlier there is Scott McLaughlin, who obviously didn't <laughs> run in all but one race last year, but he did go through his ROP when IndyCar tested at IMS in, it was either late October or early November of last year. Um, but yeah, then you have guys like Elio, who obviously was in the 500 last year, but the 500 wasn't the um, last oval on the calendar. That, of course, was at Worldwide Technology Raceway the weekend after. So I think that has something to do with it. If you look at that field, you know, like Santino Ferrucci isn't running in the full IndyCar season this year, but he was running at Worldwide Technology Raceway last year. Um I th so I, I think I figured it out that that's it, but you're right. It is, you would think that they'd be able to go over resumes alone. And the fact that Elio was both in the car last year um, in the 500 and with his history, um, you'd think that, you know, maybe they'd be able to give him a little pass on that. Um, it was, it was so funny because we sat there, the refresher and he's the three time 500 champion. I'm like still one of the newer guys. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm putting a refresher. And it just blew my mind that, like, him, you know, he, and then also, you know, Juan Pablo. I mean, you've got five times Indy 500 champions there through the refresher. I mean, it just seemed like almost comical. Um, I, th I don't get me wrong. I think it made it, you know, pretty fun to watch. I, I definitely wasn't sad, you know, to see so many great drivers uh, in it. it I just. Uh, it wouldn't have been obvious to me what the criteria was or wasn't, you know, for the for the refresher. But um, it, 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 I think a lot of people on the team were like, "Wait, Elio's doing the refresher?" You're like, "Yep." <laughs> Not sure why, but he's doing it. Yeah, some other names in there. I think James Hinchcliffe was in there. Um, uh, of course, a former pole sitter at the five pole guy. Yeah. Um, Sebastian Bourdais, uh, a four-time car or champ car champion um back in the mid to late 2000s um i think it was the others might have been max chilton sage Karam, uh of course rookies pietro fittipaldi and cody ware and there's a couple other names in there that i i'm sure i'm forgetting uh oh simona de silvestro of course with Preta autosport um 
Was it day? one of the strongest refreshers I've seen? I have to yeah. admit. Absolutely. I, 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 I think you could probably put that field up against just about any other refresher out there. Um, yes. And that's, you, you've got some resumes that a lot of, for just about everyone in, in the series would take. Uh, one, one interesting part off of that, because of course, some of those folks that rode in that were involved or are involved and will be involved in some of the one-off um, teams and entries for this year's IndyCar field. At the moment, with those 32 cars that competed uh, last or ran last Thursday and Friday, um, that field did include Sage Karam with Ryan Reinbolt Racing, who are not confirmed for this year's 500, um, but certainly do look likely. They have run together, team and driver, each of the last several 500s. Um, you also had uh, Dale Coyne racing with Rick Ware racing, who was uh, who had Cody Ware in seat, uh, who has not run an IndyCar race, but I think this was his third and fourth day in the car. Um, he also tested at Sebring and Texas earlier this offseason. Um, that's also not a, I, I believe you would probably call it a confirmed entry, not a confirmed driver yet, but we expect an update on that here in the coming weeks. Um, Charlie Kimball, who uh, is confirmed to be making a run at the 500 with AJ Foyt Racing, was not in the car. And on Thursday, we got news that J.R. Hildebrand will be driving a fourth car for AJ Foyt Racing and in a really cool um, throwback number one entry um, that will uh, look a lot like AJ's 61 winning car the year that he won his first Indy 500. Um, I think that gives us 34 Top Gun Racing. Um, as I reported a couple months back, is putting together an entry for RC Enerson and have not yet announced their engine partner or their primary sponsor. But we've been told that though that that announcement is essentially just a formality that everything is set there. Uh, and then there's some speculation on a sixth Andretti car. Um, I spoke with Michael Andretti, I believe it was Tuesday last week, and he told me that they are indeed looking into that, um, don't have anyone set, and certainly has not been announced. But I think at most we can expect 36 cars in this year's 500. Um, I guess, I guess an, another car we learned about last week was Ferrucci, as I mentioned, driving for Ray Hall. Um, which was interesting to see him back and, and certainly gives them a pretty stout lineup with the first, third, and fourth place finishers from last year in their three drivers. Um, when you look at the the 500 qualifying field and how it's shaping up for this year, is there anything that immediately stands out to you? I think what stood out to me at the test was just how competitive it was. You know, like you, you start rattling off, the drivers in the top 20 and how split it felt like between Honda and Chevy, how split it felt like between teams. It certainly wasn't dominated. I don't feel like by any one team. Um, and then you start talking about the single entries, just the 500 this year. And I mean, they seem strong, you know, I thought uh, it looked like Simona had a really great day. I thought, um, I think a lot of the, talent in IndyCar right now from, you know, rookies. I thought Scott McLaughlin looked like he had a great day, you know, and then obviously you've got some other vets. I thought Elio did look really strong. And then obviously Joseph was the quickest on the day and, and looked very good. It was, it was, it's so competitive right now, you know, and somehow I feel like we think the speedway is going to sometimes separate that. And uh, I don't think it did at all. You know, it seems probably as competitive as ever. I think people forget that, you know, bump days lost stress, you know, even if, we, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to be competitive and it's not going to be too much on our radar, but uh, you know, the fact that someone or a few people are going to get bumped, you know, does definitely makes it uh, a little bit more eye opening. Uh, you know, we've had a, we've had a couple of stressful days before where, you know, we've been a little closer to the edge than I'd like to be. Um, but yeah, first takeaway was just how competitive it was. And I don't think how any one team dominated. Um, let's, uh, yeah. What was your conclusion? Like, when, what was your big takeaways? 
Yeah. Um, and I think that the really cool thing is just simply the fact that we're going back to, to having a bump day during qualifying weekend. Um, I have not covered a 500 with that as part of it yet, but I know from looking back at some serious stress, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, I can only imagine. I mean, it, it always seems like there's a team, whether it's because of a crash midweek um, leading into qualifying or just something we can't figure out. There's always a, an entry that is down either in that last row shootout once we get go from Saturday to Sunday or a team, you know, say on Fast Friday that's just down a lot farther than we would expect. And I, I think there are some an initial entries that we think may end up in that um, in that grouping, but I also wouldn't be surprised if there's a, you know, whether it's a, a big three entry or even someone say, you know, from AJ Foyt racing or just any of the teams that, that are big names in the sport that aren't one-offs that could, you know, be flirting potentially with not making that race. And in, in years, you know, unless you have, an ultra competitive 500 that can sometimes be the biggest storyline that comes from it. I mean, look back at that, uh, 2019 Indy 500. I mean, you could ask people, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, what they remember most. And some might say the, you know, the late rate race battle between Rossi and Pagano. And some others might say the fact that Fernando Alonso and McLaren, showed up and didn't make that race. It just, it creates a lot of drama and I'm really excited that we will have um, some significant developments and stories going into that weekend and probably be paying attention to practice um, and Fast Friday a little bit more closely than we did last year, just because we knew that um, all 33 of those cars would would make the race. Um, Let's transition here to talking about this race, this week's um, season opener at Barber Motorsports Park. Um, you've run at this track once before in 2019 um, when I know it wasn't the season opener. It's not traditionally been. Um, what are some of the biggest in-race keys um, or focuses of yours? I guess maybe just looking at this weekend in general, whether it be about preparing for a season opener or just a race at Barber uh, in the bigger picture? Barber requires a lot from, from the car. You know, there's a lot of really tight bits. There's a lot of parts that really are fast and very flowing. Um, I think one of the other interesting things there is the way the race length is. Sometimes it's two stops, sometimes it's three. Uh, and I think it's going to open up the realm of strategy, I would say, uh, compared to a lot of tracks, it's probably the most uh, open for strategy, or at least one of the most. So then naturally it comes into, you know, who can make the tyres last the longest, because that sometimes dictates what strategy path you go down. Uh, I really enjoy Barber. I mean, it's such a beautiful, you know, racetrack. It's sort of, you know, really... Uh, wooded area with amazing elevation change, you know, some really, uh, not necessarily blind corners, but ones you really kind of arrive up to. I just really like being there. You know, I thought we had good success. Um, you know, we actually tried to make a two-stopper work. And if I hadn't got a pit lane violation, we would have worked for sure. Um, so a lot of good good memories at Barber. Just hoping for a successful weekend. I was going back through to refresh my memory a little bit. It is a 90 lap race um, for this year's season opener here on Sunday. Um, I'm not seeing how many it has been in years past. Do you know off the top of your head? I mean, does that fall in a range where you can do two stops or three stops? Does it, does this set up as far as how IndyCar has um, the parameters around this race set? for Sunday, does it, is it going to be something that fans should watch out for as far as what cars are doing for pit strategy, or does this setup just kind of make everyone have to follow the same um, direction and, and just really more than anything, duke it out on the track? 
I don't I don't remember what the race length was in 2019. Um, if it's the same, I think you could see again. The question will be two stops, three stops. Um, one of the fun things about Barber, I mean, it's not that fun actually. Is it's one of the more physical tracks that we go to. So I think people forget that when we're in practice mode or when we're testing or whatever, you know, we pretty much will go and do you know four or five laps per run. Uh, you know, get the change, give feedback on the change, work on to the next testing item. You know, so I think you're probably not going to see, maybe until Sunday morning in that warm-up session, people actually do more than just like a six or seven lap run. So heading into the first race, you're almost you're treading water for the first time because you don't know how your car is going to be. You know, 15 laps on a set of reds in the race. You know, so some of that could just be, you know, flying by the seat of your pants, just hoping that the tires last long enough to execute the strategy you want to. And then from a driver's stance, it's like, I hope my neck holds up for that long. Uh, obviously, that's what we work so hard in the in the off-season to be able to do. And physically, I feel great. Uh, you know, my trainer, Jeff, at St. Vincent's has done awesome getting me ready for the, the season to be starting. But uh, it's always so fun, that first race of the year, because and it's actually not that fun as we sit here today, Because, but it is fun. There's so many unknowns. You know, we don't know how the tyre is going to behave over that. We don't know how the car is going to be you know, over such a long run. Uh, and whether you're doing a two or three stopper, I mean, you still need to stretch your tyres normally out to a, you know, very long way. So um, I think it's going to be just, I think it's just going to be exciting, mate. I'm, like, I'm really just happy that the season's getting started. I think Barber's a, a great opening race. Uh, I know we're all excited to go back to St. Pete, but uh, yeah, I think uh, a worthy season opener for sure is, uh, is Barber. Just answered that question for us. Um, it was indeed 90 laps uh, in 2019. So potentially an, another interesting uh, uh, pit stop strategy and how teams set up for this race. Do a real quick rundown on the broadcast schedule um, just so fans have an idea. Um, IndyCars will take the track first, um, 11 to 11.45 a.m. Eastern time on Saturday for practice number one, followed by practice number two at 2.40 to 3.25 um, with qualifying running from 5.50 to 7.10 Eastern. All of those three um, events will be shown live on Peacock. Um, a tape delayed version of qualifying will air on NBC Sports from 10 to 11. Eastern PM on Saturday night. We, you guys, as you mentioned, you guys have a warm up from 1130 to 12 um, Eastern on Sunday morning, leading into the race broadcast that starts at 3 PM on big NBC, um, part of a, a really exciting run for IndyCar, six of the first eight races to be shown on network TV to create some momentum. Um, we'll go real quick before we go into questions. Um, I know who I, I, I put together a set of race predictions for all 17 races this year. Um, my prediction for this race was Joseph Newgarden, who's won, I think, um, two of the last, maybe, maybe it was two out of the last three, certainly several of the last races that we've held here at Barber. Um, if it was not going to be you, um, I'll, I'll make that caveat. Who do you feel like, who would be your pick? um as a as a favorite going into this year's season opener you had me concerned there for a moment i kind of started to get the impression you thought that joseph was going to win the race um <laughs> i would say mate joseph is a, is a good shout you know he's, he's so good at barber um not his home race this year because of nashville obviously but one of the tracks that's obviously closer to where he's from he's got great history there uh, I actually think the uh, the Ray Hall cars always seem to go very well in, in Barber. I think Andrea Yorkesport have a great car. Uh, you know, I was really happy with how we tested in November. Uh, if it wasn't me, and certainly we hope that it will be, uh, but if it isn't, I would say I would say Joseph's probably a, um, a guy who I'd put in my fantasy lineup. Good one. Um, and before we get to questions, I'll, I I do want to give you a quick chance. I on those 
race predictions that I made um, this year or uh, that we published on IndyStar.com here a couple of days ago. Um, had you were winning your first uh, ever car race on the IMS road course race 13 um, that race weekend in August where IndyCar and NASCAR will both be running on the road course. Um, uh, you know, uh, good man. go ahead. No, I, I said good man. We like to, we like to see that we made the W category, hopefully. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, I've, I've, I've been the, the story and I'll say it again here. I mean, it, everything we've seen from you guys certainly seems like um, not only you as a driver, but just this whole team is on the cusp of being able to break through. And when I was going through um, and looking at the tracks where you run best, I know there's still some tracks that you have not run on yet, but it just seemed like everything has trended in the right direction on that IMS road course. Um, and so that's what I felt like made sense. Um, so uh, I, I will go ahead and, and say my prediction for this year as far as a series champion was Joseph. Um, I think it will be very tight between him and Scott and uh, Alexander Rossi. Um, and I think more than anything, I mean, it was, I had nine guys uh, that I picked to win at least one race this year. And man, it would have been so easy to go to 11, 12, 13, maybe even 14 um, I think the record in IndyCar is 11 different race winners in a single season. So I think in that sense, more than anything, it will be really interesting to see once this season is all said and done, how many drivers end up winning races. Um, before we finish things up here, I want to go and run through a couple questions that we got from folks on Twitter over the last couple days. Um, We'll go first question I have here. Um, we'll, we'll take this one from Alan. Alan asks Jack, Jack, what are your expectations on wins and where do you think you'll finish in points uh, for the 2021 season? Best of luck. Uh, man, it's so hard to say. You know, I, I when we were talking about goal setting earlier in the season, at the end of last season, I felt that we could have in 2020 have for sure been inside the top 10, you know, pretty much most weekends uh, where I think, I think we could have easily finished there in the championship. Um, I think we could have done that even going into St. Pete uh, before we had that little mishap with James. So I would like to see us finishing the top 10 in points because I think that would be progression on where we were last season but I also just believe the team has the the talent and the capability to achieve that you know I, I, I believe that I have the you know the talent and the capability to do it I really believe in everybody at Myshack Racing um, you know we want to be here for many years to come and naturally it's a results driven industry and you know at the end of the year I want to give everybody a, a good headache but we should just keep extending and, you know, at minimum still be an IndyCar driver for the next few years to come. So um, I think there's there's some tracks that we didn't go to last year, which we felt like could be strengths of ours, you know, Portland for sure. And I would just, I'd really love to see us just get in the W category, you know, in, in IndyCar. I think this is a year where maybe you could see that record of a 11 different winners be broken. It certainly feels like it could be. Um, you know, we're going to the track hoping that we're going to be one of them and confident that we can be. Uh, wouldn't I would love it if that first win came this weekend in Alabama. Um, and that's what we're going to go and try and try and do along with the other, you know, 20 plus drivers trying to achieve the same thing. But um, I know it's been said a lot. It's, just, it's a really, really competitive year in IndyCar. Mm -hmm. Question here from Justin Holmes asks, Jack, what is your mindset heading into the first race of the year? Is it go for broke and get the most uh, or get the most out of the car and keep it in one piece? Yeah, I think I saw this thing. I actually may have even replied to it on Twitter last night. Um, it's all the ability. You know, to, to win an indie car, you have to have basically a perfect day. And normally to do that, you have to do exactly what we just, just described. Um, you know, I can tell you now, if there's, a, if there's an opportunity to win, we're going to take it. 
you know, if, if the best we can manage on, on that day is just a, a good handful of points to get the season started, then OK, you know, we'll, we'll assess the situation in the time. But, um, you know, we're, we're very much going with an attitude and, you know, an optimism that we can go and, you know, challenge for something really great this year. So um, we'll, we'll try and push the car to its absolute limit while keeping it on the uh, on the tarmac. And uh, hopefully after that, we we leave the weekend very satisfied. Um, question here from Indy Nathan asks, when trying to improve lap times on a track you've raced before, how much of it is just feel and trying different lines and how much of it is using telemetry to find gains? Oh, it's such a, such a balance of both, you know, because when you're, when you're in, the, in the car at the moment, or in the moment, should I say, sorry, it's it's just feeling you know you're just doing what you think is right at the time and you know naturally everyone goes out and does what they think is best why would you do anything different uh you know so you go out you go out you do your best you come in and you go oh okay um colton was better in turn one and turn two than i okay well how was he there what was he doing and then maybe the next session you go out and try and do something different and that's when it feels a little different you know um there's been a couple of times throughout last year where i would come back in i would look at their data and you know i'd really have to visualize making that change and that improvement because it wasn't my let's say natural driving style but it was quicker and at that point i would take what is quicker than what feels like necessarily natural you know in that moment because again it's a results driven uh, industry so um it's it's a really interesting way to try and you know just just get in a car and just hustle you know like the most that you just naturally can and then maybe post-session pre-session that's when i look at the data you know to try and figure out you know did they break later did they turn the into the corner a bit sooner did they unwind the wheel a bit sooner or whatever it is um you know just try and use it to my advantage and hope that it works out well we'll have a uh maybe one quick question here from carrie leinbach asks um, do you use the same car for both the Indy 500 and the double header at Texas Motor Speedway? Uh, uh, I'm not sure the team would want me to uh, give away the answer to uh, that. I'll kind of leave it as a as a mystery uh, again because Texas is so important this year. There was definitely a good case for using our our primary oval car. That being said, there's also Texas as opportunity to have some crashes and we don't want to ruin our primary oval car before we get to Indy. So um, I think that one's going to be best left uh, best left as a mystery. There we go. A little bit of mystery. Um, well, still some questions that we were not able to get to this week. I will keep them on file and we will be sure to get to those next week when we record uh, and break down the results from Barbara Motorsports Park and IndyCar's season opener. Again, that race on April 18th, 3 p.m., NBC. Um, you've got a chance, if you are not already subscribing to Peacock, to uh, take advantage of one free week of that streaming service to be able to watch all of practicing qualifying live as it happens I will be on hand at Barber, um, tweeting out updates, writing and reporting out stories, um, and certainly waiting very curiously to see how this race weekend plays out and who can take an early advantage and an early points lead in the 2021 championship. Jack, thanks so much for joining me here again today. Um, we look forward to seeing how things go at Barber, um, any last message for folks uh, before we cut things off? No, mate, thanks so much for having me on. I really do enjoy uh, chatting with you and I hope you, you know, just throughout the season, everyone's gonna get to uh, live with, you know, some of the good stuff, some of the bad stuff. But, you know, the thing I'll always try and be is, uh, you know, real and honest with everybody about the good things, the bad things, and uh, just, just feel ready for the season to get started. So, um, excited for our chat next week and hopefully it's one on a, a positive note saying oh yeah look how awesome the weekend was instead of uh, anything negative but the guys are ready you know i'm ready everyone's worked incredibly hard so uh, it's just just time to time to stop talking and get it done i'll echo all of that thanks so much for 
listening this week. Um, we will have our next episode up um, sometime Tuesday or Wednesday next week. For Jack Harvey, I'm Nathan Brown, Indy Stars Motorsports Insider. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of IndyCar Weekly. Thank you.